I'm wearing this little modern mic, um, which caused us a little stir in the back. We had to find it. Because during the week, as I've been listening to preaching, I've been distracted by the large mic. So let's do away with that. We're going to bring the lights down low, like campfire, because I want to approximate this sign. This week has been like sitting on a beach in heaven, wave after wave of blessing. And as the week comes to a close, the blessings of choir, the blessings of being in the 20 and 21-year-old class, they let me in there a few days. It was great. Bob and I taught that class together, learning from them and having a lot of fun, maybe too much. The children's choirs, teen choir, adult choir, orchestra, wave after wave. And yet once in a while, there's a rogue wave. Something that you don't want. It's kind of like summer squash. I had summer squash a few times as a kid. And I mention it because it's, it's kind of like the... Uh, the perfect triad of disgusting. You're laughing. It's mealy and yet slimy with horrible taste. But that's the dish that's served and you got to eat it. It's like fear. A rogue wave shows up once in a while you got to take it. Let's pray. It's a part of me, Lord, that says, what more could we say? What more could we do? What greater blessing or joy could we have after day after day? Waves of blessing. And yet the choir sang, this could be the day. This could be the day where one more soul is touched. One more heart is broken. One more thing before we have to go. Be here empty me of myself and fill this hall with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I read the scripture this evening, I'd like to explain to you how I got here tonight. There's a big part of me that wishes I got here because I had this amazing experience this year, this powerful experience that the Lord says, oh, I need you to share this at camp. But that is not the case. 
The message this evening is coming to you from the furnace. The furnace of affliction. And I'll tell you right now, like I said in the forum two years ago, there's a lot of you that would trade your affliction for mine in a heartbeat. And yet, like we talked about in class, my biggest problem is my biggest problem. A number of weeks ago, my wife came home from day at work, and she just broke down. She had had a really rough day, a bunch of things went wrong, it just overwhelmed her, and we went upstairs quietly into our bedroom, and we sat down, and I tried to comfort her, and we read some scripture, and talked together, and she calmed down a bit, but was still shaken, and we prayed. And at the conclusion of that prayer, she said to me, kind of out of the blue, you know, considering the theme of camp this year, if you're asked to preach, you have to preach that sermon. And I immediately broke down and wept. I knew exactly what she was talking about. A few years prior to that night, I don't know exactly how many years, but probably a couple years prior to that, I had an experience. I had an experience where I was praying and reading, and I was just in one of those dark, deep moments of meditation with the Lord, asking for answers, begging for relief. And he challenged me with a three-word phrase. He said, can you say that? I will not share with you the phrase until the end of this meditation, this service. What makes it significant is about two weeks after that moment, that enlightening moment, my wife came into my office. I was doing some work. I think it was evening. She had been reading and praying and doing her thing. She came in, she said, you know, Tom, I just, had, I just had a moment with the Lord. He revealed something to me. And she said, listen to this. This is what God wants. And she said that same exact three-word phrase to me. And I immediately started weeping. She said, what's wrong? I said, two weeks ago, approximately, the Lord said the exact same thing to me. When that kind of stuff happens, it's otherworldly. And at that moment, both she and I thought, there's a message there. And days and weeks and months went by. I'd been preaching since then and just never really felt the urge to explore that message. I mean, I had made some notes on it, so had she, just some ideas and verses and it just sat there, percolating, bubbling. And when she said, 
if the call comes, you've got to preach that sermon. It's the kind of thing that you're not sure you want to face. And so I did what any semi-intelligent brother would do. I put together an email and sent it off to the advisor saying, there's a bunch of brothers coming from out west. A bunch of them. And I thought, maybe there'll be too many out west brothers to schedule and it'll pass. But the Lord, he has different ideas than I do, doesn't he? You've maybe experienced that too. He said, how about that sermon gets delivered Friday night, Tom? Try that on for size. And I didn't say no because I'm not that arrogant. I'm not that brave. So here I stand. Rest assured, this is two plus years in the making and nobody Nobody in this hall is safe. You're not going to be able to see unless you have this on a smartphone, but I'll do my best to read it as accurately as I can in the book of Daniel. Chapter 3, starting with verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen in their hats, and other, their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the fire exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that, stood up, that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Let's pick it up and continue reading. Verse 24, The Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, and rose up in haste and spake and said to his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. I'd like to read a few verses out of the book of Acts. Consider the similarity that we see. Chapter 26, verse 13. This is the Apostle Paul giving his testimony to the king. 
Verse 13. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. Do you see a pattern? I do. As they threw the three men into the furnace, they fell down into the furnace. They fell down into the furnace. And moments later, they stood up. Saul, when the bright light shot on him, he fell down on his knees to the ground. And then the Lord said, stand up. It's a pattern of falling and rising and falling and rising and falling and rising. Kind of like a workout session, if you will. An exercise session. Falling and rising. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. This exercise, falling and rising and falling and rising, creates an opportunity for those parts of us that are lame to be healed and thereby walking the path more easily. The way I see it, the way Scripture shows it, that was in Hebrews, there's a necessity that God sees for chastisement and spiritual exercise. Falling and standing and falling and standing. I'd like to share with you a story that's going to serve as a foundational piece to explore this idea of falling and standing. On volcanic islands, it happens at times that when a volcano erupts and lava comes out, that this lava goes and spreads out sometimes for square miles and miles and miles and builds up the surface of the earth 
10, 20, 50, 100 feet. And there's times when it actually goes all the way to the sea and creates an outcropping, a shoreline, if you will. Cools when it hits the ocean. And after time, when the lava flow stops, what you'll have is this outcropping of rock that is black, kind of ugly, has deep fissures and cracks in it, and is elevated off the surface of the water in most cases. There's people that buy oceanfront property cheaply because it's simply cooled off lava flow. And what they do, I've heard a man say this himself, what they do is they, they go to the fishers and they put in some, some dirt and some soil and things like that. They put some uh, plants and palm trees in. And This man decided, you see, he decided to buy a piece of this property that's, that's a little bit less expensive, but it's beautiful views of the ocean, shoreline property. He bought this little pinnacle of land, lava volcanic pinnacle that was cooled off and dried. And he decided to do just that. He put some soil in the cracks and fissures and put some palm trees up. And over time, he spent more time there. He wanted a beautiful little pinnacle overlooking the ocean. He brought in some gravel, some topsoil, and put in some sod, had a little grassy surface there. He brought in some cedar Adirondack chairs, a little table for some beverages, a magazine rack, if you will. He decided this is going to be a beautiful place to spend some time and relax. Just listen to those waves washing up on the shore below. Rest and relaxation. A beautiful thing. One day he was reading a good book, sitting there comfortably, and he he looked out at the waves like he often did because he loved the scene of his little plot there. And he noticed far out in the ocean a set of waves. And you know waves tend to come in sets, those of you that surf. He saw a set of waves that were unusually large. And he put his book down and thought to himself, those waves are a little larger than normal. But his pinnacle was about 15, 20 feet off the surface of the ocean. He thought, I should be fine. And as they came closer, he kind of did an evaluation. Never seen some that big, but he thought, I should be all right. And he waited and waited, and one by one, these waves started coming closer and closer, and the first wave hit, and it created a surge of water 30 feet above his head. He thought, wow. Second wave was bigger, not only surged up, but came over him, splashing on the land and disrupting his books and his table, and the fourth wave, the fifth wave, and when it was all said and done, he was soaking wet, and he looked around at his beautiful little lush pinnacle that um, had plantings all around. The flowers were gone. His book was soaked. His chair was knocked over, and he looked at the edges of the pinnacle, and there was some erosion of the soil, and even some sod had slipped down. So he said, you know, I got I to gotta do a better job here. So he brought some chicken wire, about four feet high, and he put it around the outside of the pinnacle. He brought in the soil and the gravel again and put in the sod and stamped it down and planted a few more trees. He said, you know what? That erosion problem is not going to happen next time. I'm going to be in good shape. Well, a few weeks went by, and somewhere deep in the ocean, the tectonic plates shifted. You know what that means. There was a large shock wave under the ocean. 
And that shockwave turned into a monstrous set of waves coming his way. But he was reading his book. It was an exceptional book. Comforted by the sway of the trees and the lush thickness of the grass that had regrown in these eroded spots and the small flowers around the peripheral edge. And these waves were surging toward him faster, building in strength and speed as he got closer to shore. And he was reading his book, and the waves were coming, reading waves, reading waves. And finally he looked up because he heard something, and he saw these monstrous waves, four or five of them coming his way. These were four or five times bigger than the last. And he said, Lord, look at those waves. And he threw his book, and he threw his chair, and the waves were upon him, crashing over him like he wasn't even there. And everything was haywire, salt water in his mouth, seaweed, all kinds of things. And he felt himself being sick, sucked off the pinnacle. And he said, oh my goodness, what's going to happen now? And he fell to the ground, and he started clawing. And he felt all the sod upon him shifting and sliding and eroding in this massive landslide. And he said, what am I going to do? He's clawing, clawing. And finally, after what seemed like an hour, maybe only it was a few seconds, he felt his hands grip into the crevices of solid rock. And everything underneath him was washed away. And more waves came and pounded him onto that rock. But he clung onto that rock. And there's a phrase I need you to understand that I had to look up. I asked some people, have you heard this phrase? And they said, no. There's a word called gaining purchase. To gain purchase is a use of the word purchase we're not used to, but it means to grip something so you don't slip. See, he was trying to gain purchase on his little pinnacle, and he finally did when he had the volcanic rocks in his hands, his fingers in the clefts, his feet in the cracks, and he was able to hold on the last few waves. And after the waves were done, his eyes were closed, gasping for breath, covered in dirt and salt, his chest ripped open from the sharpness of the rocks, his hands raw, and finally, at long last, he gathered his strength, And he stood up, and he looked out to the sea. The water was suddenly calm. And he determined, he determined at that moment that never again would the cracks of this rock and the surface of this rock be covered in soil and sod. He wanted no distance from the rock. No insulation from the surface that had saved him that day. I need to address three groups of people that are here. Everyone here and everyone watching is in these three groups. If you don't think you are, you fool yourself. You kid yourself. The first group is the fearful redeemed and I hope this group is a lot of you 
the fearful redeemer. You say, Tom, we, we just spent a whole week talking about casting out fear. We don't want to be that. Per-. No, that's an okay person to be because you have to understand something. This sign says, perfect love casteth out fear. It does not say, perfect love eliminates fear. It says, it casts it out. And the supposition is this, that perfect love, when fear shows up, can be cast out. See, in my class, we talked about the fact that the initial notion of fear is not a bad thing. It's a protective mechanism we're built in with. The question is, what do you do in response to the fear? So those of you that are in group one, that feel for redeemed, you are, in fact, on the pinnacle. That's where you should be. Upon the rock. And you've got your eye on the ocean. And you know that occasionally those rogue wave comes or that big set comes, but you're on the rock. And yet there's times where you see that the waves are big and they're frothing at the top from the wind and you know that they're bigger than the rock and they're going to come over the rock. So what you do is you get ready, you brace yourself, and you fall down and put your hands in those cracks and you gain purchase on the rock. And the wave hits and it's hard. You probably get hurt a little bit. You were scared for a moment, but you've gained purchase on the rock. When the waves pass, you've already fallen on the rock. And now you stand up. Because that's what the Lord wants you to do. The Lord wants you to, after you've fallen, He wants you to stand up and face the ocean again and watch for the waves. And yet, within this group, there, there are some issues. There are some problems. You see, some of you, and you know who you are, you put up the chicken wire. See, because the rock is somewhat ugly to look at, it's difficult to walk on, and those cracks, they don't look good. So you've brought in some topsoil, some insulation, some covering over the rock. You put in some sod, a couple palm trees, some flowers, a nice chair. It's a comfortable place to be now, isn't it? Watch the waves come in. Or maybe you're not watching so much, you're reading the book because it's a comfortable place to be. you already know the danger that you're in. By putting insulation between you and the rock, right? You've been in this situation before. You start slipping and sliding when the first wave comes. You're in trouble. Landslide. And then in a frantic pace, at a frantic uh, activity level, you grab the shovel, you start digging. I need the rock. I need the rock. And you gain purchase. And at the last second, hopefully... You hold on, and you're okay. And the question for you is tonight, how beautiful is your pinnacle? How sculpted are the trees and flowers? How thick is the sod? Or you do have a place of access, raw, 
unfiltered, uncovered, uninsulated, with some deep handholds to gain purchase. Luke 6, 46 says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon the house, and it could not shake it, for it was founded upon the rock. Group one, the fearful redeemed, your mission is to go home and dig deep. Clear out a space for solid rock with grips, handholds. Group two, I'm more worried about you. You're the fearless redeemed. You're not engaged that much in the idea of fear because life is really quite comfortable. It's pretty easy. Things go on as they did. Job, the house, family, or not. Life hasn't tested or tried you too much lately. It's it's all very comfortable. You see, here's what you've done. You grew tired of vigilance on the pinnacle. And you decided, you know what? I'm going to go inland. I'm going to back off of this pinnacle because you know what? We, we've been through a lot of waves and it's just, I don't like the salt. It dries my skin. I don't like messing with this whole surface thing, the Sodom. I'm just going to go inland a, a couple hundred yards, maybe a few miles. And I don't have to worry about the waves at all. It's so much easier here. Are you safe there? Really? Hundreds of yards? Maybe miles from the pinnacle. You don't even go there anymore. About one o'clock in the morning one day, I was up late doing some work. I don't even know what it was. And I went downstairs to just get something to drink and uh, put the news on just to clear my head and see what was going on in the news. And just five minutes, I was going to go to bed. I was tired. I put the news on and I caught live the tsunami that hit Japan. And it was a little bit of a strange thing for me because usually when you see news, it's after the fact and they cut and slice and do all these things. This was simply live footage from various helicopters and places that they just were running with. And the newscasters weren't even saying much. And I was watching as this thing was just engulfing miles and miles of land. People in cars. This was not edited footage. People in cars driving, driving. The car being swept away. People running, clambering up to housetops. Houses burning, moving. Fearless redeemed. 
Do you think that the wave, the big one, cannot reach you? You're wrong. You're miles away from the pinnacle, and you're thinking it's safe because you can't even see the waves crashing anymore. But I guarantee you this, when that tsunami comes, when that tidal wave comes, you are finished. You are done. There's no hope for you. It's time to make a pilgrimage. That's your homework assignment. A pilgrimage back to the pinnacle. And bring a shovel while you're at it. Scrape it off. Strap in. And remember that the Lord wants you to fall and rise. To fall and rise. To fall and rise. That's his plan of spiritual exercise, strengthening, correction. Those he loves, he chastens. If you don't feel at all chastened, what does that mean? Group number three, the fearless, unredeemed. That's the third group. There are no other groups. And I know I've been coming to camp for a lifetime. Many of you have too. But some of you are young. You've coming for just a few years. And you know what's interesting is a lot of times the preacher will talk about the fearless, the fearless unredeemed. And we refer to the guys and the girls that are young and living maybe a little bit reckless and you feel like you've got everything in charge and you're popular and you're great. You've got your car now, you're getting it soon and you're all decked out here at camp. You spend a lot of time looking good and looking sharp and making sure that you gather the right attention. And you are, clearly, the fearless, unredeemed. But everyone here that is unredeemed is fearless. The group of fearless, unredeemed is much larger than you thought it was. It involves people of all ages, sizes, colors, backgrounds. There's a company called No Fear. You've seen the t-shirts. No fear, man. I'm wearing it. I'm living it. I once had a conversation with a very young boy. He was probably five years old at the time. He said to me, I don't fear anything. And I was, you know, he's five years old. He's bringing it big. Come on, man. I, don't be, I said, you know, you know that's, that's interesting. I appreciate that notion. And yet, I, 
great aspiration, but the reality is that there's probably some things you're going to come across in life that are going to scare you. No, I don't fear anything. You know, maybe your mom and dad told you that you don't have to fear anything, but fear's coming your way, dude. You guarantee it. If a dog came up right now, big, frothing at the mouth, Rottweiler, rah, on your face, I, your knees would be shaking at least, if not more. I didn't get into it too much. But there's people here kind of like that. They got the t-shirt. They got their attitude. They are not fearing anything. Came to camp talking about fear. Yeah, well, whatever. I'm going to go home. I'm fearless. And then there's those of you that say, well, Tom, you know, I'm unredeemed, but I'm, I'm really quite timid and often fearful. Yeah. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. You want to know why? You've got a hierarchy of fear, a fearsome supremacy that's messed up. You say, I want to be a Christian. I really want to, but I fear that I won't be able to go to college or I fear that I won't find the right guy or I fear that I won't find the right girl or I fear that I won't be able to stay true. Really? So that's your biggest fear. Fear of hell and eternal destruction is lower than that. Do you understand? If that's holding you back, you've got a big fear problem. Your fear hierarchy is messed up. If you're not aggressively seeking the Lord and finding a way to get on that pinnacle, you're acting fearless in the face of eternity, of your eternal destruction. That's the bottom line. Don't come to me later tonight and give me a list of things. and re- No, I don't want to hear it. You are standing before God, fearless of his impact. Now that brings up the question. You're not on the pinnacle. You're not miles offshore. Where are you exactly? I'll tell you where you are. I want you to know exactly where you are so there's no question in your mind. I'm going to paint a picture so it's easy to remember. No big words. Simple, critical, easy to remember. You are on the shore, the black, sandy shore in front of the pinnacle, in front of the sharp, jagged, rocky pinnacle. You're on the beach. You're living like you're on the beach. Maybe you've got a chair, a refreshing beverage, and a good book. Matthew 21, 43 says this, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on the stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Doesn't say it's going to break your leg or twist your arm. It's going to grind you to powder. Not even gravel. Powder is even finer than that. You can hardly see it. You're on the beach. You're living large. Maybe you're acting fearless. Maybe you're acting fearful. The problem is you don't fear God enough because the pinnacle's right there and you're not doing anything about it. You're not doing anything about it. And then it happens. You know it. Tick 
tectonic shape plate shift. And the waves are coming. And they're massive. And they're big. And some of you are scrambling. And others stand there with your no fear t-shirt and you say like this, let's go. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Have you ever seen the power of a big wave? That wave is going to not even blink. And you're going to have no impact. It's like a 50,000 ton freight train hitting you head on. No impact. It's not going to know you were there. And it's going to take your body and smash you into that wall of rock. You will be ground into the rock to powder. And when they find you, they're going to peel off that bloody No Fear t-shirt and say, that's all that's left. Because you washed away into nothingness. Finished. Done. Here we are at camp. And that hand with the hole that's healed in the middle of it is reaching down from the pinnacle. And you're right on the shore, then you're looking at it, and you're thinking about grabbing it. I'm going to pull you up. I can pull you up. My name is Jesus. I can pull you up here. Get on the rock. Fall down and be broken so the Lord can say, stand up. Whosoever shall fall on the stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And maybe you say, oh, Tom, I'm not, I'm not sitting on a chair on the beach here. I'm kind of climbing up on that pinnacle. I've been thinking about it a lot. I'm looking for peace. I've got some concerns about the apostolic Christian church. doesn't quite fit my exact recipe for perfection. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I've seen the hand and I like the hand and I've kind of grabbed it a few times. I can't, but I let go because I just got a few issues I got to worry about. The waves are coming. Don't you get it? You have no chance if you're fiddling around at the edge. No chance. You got to grab the hand, get pulled up, and fall on the rock. Because when those waves come, you've got to gain purchase. You see, what's beautiful about that word is the idea of purchase. The handholds have been purchased for you. They're ready for you. Fit your hands just like you need it. The shape of your body right there. Purchase is available. The purchase has been made. For you to gain purchase on the rock. And yet you struggle with things that are minutia, silliness, in light of that gigantic wave that's bearing down on you at 50 or 70 or 100 miles an hour. Really? That's your plan? To beat around the bush and argue with the Lord? Get on the rock! Grab the hand. I'll pull you up.
we're shutting down tonight. There's a few more moments for you to consider where you are. On the pinnacle? On the pinnacle and insulated? Deep inland? Or in some sense, on the shore? On that rocky cliff face? But not on top. Look out to the sea right now with me, if you will. Wherever you are, and ask yourself, how often is it that the waves on the ocean stop? They don't. What's coming your way on Monday, on Thursday? in two months, in six months? Is there a tectonic shift out there that's going to create a tsunami in your life? Possibly. Probably. You've heard testimonies this week. People are going to go home. They're going to face marital struggle maybe. Maybe a, a problem with their education that's just not going their way and great difficulty in school. Maybe people just not getting along with you or picking on you or, or maybe belittling you because you've, you've sought out the Lord. You're going to have to fall down on the rock and stand up again. Maybe that boyfriend is just going to dump you or the girlfriend. Maybe there's going to be financial strain. Some kind of dread disease. We know already somebody's going home to face chemotherapy or radiation therapy. It's going to happen. They're here. That way's coming. Testimony was he's not afraid. Falling on the rock. Gaining purchase. When it's over, stand up again. You've been purchased so that you can gain purchase on the rock. What are you going to do? Waves are coming, no doubt about it. And I'm going to share with you now the three words that my wife and I, completely separately from one another within two weeks' time, were revealed to us. And make no mistake, as I tell you what these words are, they are not words that are at all said in arrogance. They are said with apprehension and deepest humility. She came into my office and she said, you know what, babe? I have to learn to tell the Lord Bring it on. Bring on the waves. I'm not strong enough by myself, but you will cast out the fear. I'm going to fall on the rock. Cleave to it. Don't slip. 
gain purchase and bring it on, Lord, because I'm going to fall, get banged up, and I'm going to stand up, and I'll be powerful later. I'll be stronger later. Even though when I say the next, I see the next set of wave comes, I'm going to fear a little bit. But if I'm on that pinnacle and there's no insulation, bring it on. Bring it on, Lord. Not in arrogance, but just saying, I know that you can do it. Let's read some verses. Psalm 93, 3 and 4 says this. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waves. Yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Bring it on. 